This is American Real. I am Roger Brooks. Welcome to the show. This is American Real TV. There's so much to talk to you about. Where everyone. You are a true inspiration. Has. We're all trying to do our part to change the world. A story. What's your mission? What do you want your legacy to be? You have such a great story. I cannot wait to share it. Welcome to the American Real family. I cannot wait to air this episode. And now, here's your host, Roger Brooks. This is American Real. I am Roger Brooks. My guest today is Marcella Step Rodarte. You are an Amazon number one best-selling author and also an educator of over 20 years. You wrote the epic fantasy titled The Hand of Fate and use your foster care experiences and trauma to create realistic characters that readers can relate to. Marcella, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, I'm so excited to talk to you today. There's uh the background of how this all came together, you as an educator, your experience in, you know, um, in foster care, all led to your book, which uh, we would love to break down today for our listeners so they can see how you went through your journey to make this book come to reality. So first of all, congratulations on becoming a bestselling author. That's that's awesome. How, how do you feel about that? Well, um, it's kind of surreal. I went, oh my gosh, look, people all over the world are buying the book, you know? So that was kind of fun. Um, and it was really fun to track that. And it was just kind of like, okay, the books, I, I call it the little book that could just, you know, let it, let it keep going, do what it's going to do. Yeah. And we'll get, we'll definitely get more into the book itself uh, a little bit later, but I, I'd love to really start with your your background right and your and your you as an educator um i know that you've talked about why um you love reading young people's writing so talk to us about the experience as an educator and how that may relate to you know where you are today well i've been teaching for well over 20 years going more towards 30 (laughs) and um i feel like I started teaching because of my childhood. So I do have foster care experiences. I've had trauma experiences. And um, it was the love of teachers that kind of pulled me in, the ones who got me writing. And writing and reading became kind of my outlet, my best friend, you know, my my, uh, way of coping. And what is beautiful, I think, about reading is that it brings you so much humanity. And you, even if you are not feeling the love, you can experience love through books. You can travel through books. You can um, make up anything. And it's it, it's just magic to me. The idea that I can have a thought, you know, put pen to paper, somebody could read that add their own thoughts to it. They could put pen, like, I mean, revolutions, countries have started through writing. Um, You know, rebellions have started through writing. People have changed the world through writing. So I, I love bringing that energy and enthusiasm into the classroom. And I know I'm happiest when I'm writing or when I'm reading. And I just want kids to experience that. We have a generation of non-readers. And it is sad to me because I feel like if that trend continues, we are going to lose some of our humanity. And a lot of these kids won't experience the hope or learn resiliency like I did through characters and books. 
And um, it kind of goes with this idea that um, when it comes to writing and reading, you can ask the question, what if? And anything can happen. Um, and I love getting kids to write, um, asking what if. And I go, nothing's off the table. It could be outrageous. And it's amazing what they come up with. Yeah, like, I was going to ask you about your technique. Like, what do you do to get them encouraged to be able to start this process? And sometimes once you can get them asking what if, and you can get them writing creatively, then they want to read. And I go, oh, that reminds me of a really awesome author. Well, why don't we go... Why don't we go check out Walter Dean Myers or why don't we go check out Roald Dahl or why don't we here? Here's a book. It's so much like your writing style. Why don't you read? And they'll read it because they're like, oh, yeah, this this guy, he writes just like me, you know, and so they you get that connection and then that's it. I've got myself a classroom full of writers and I I never want them to underestimate their voice, you know, like the world needs to hear your voice. And I think a lot of us as writers, um, we have a message, you know, we have a platform, it's our why for writing, whatever tome or novel we've wrote, um, written. And I think it's important that kids feel that like, you know, well, what do you want to tell your audience? What do you want to leave them with? And I, I feel like my writing experience, my reading experiences, my life experiences, I think it's all connected and it's all connected for all of us. We're reading about human experience while we are having our human experience. How can there not be a connection? <laughs> I love that's so true. So true. So what about some of your students that have gone on, right? Grew up, obviously you've been in, in education for a while now. Yeah. Uh, you, you ever keep in touch? Do they ever come back? Do they ever? Right. So um, one of my students actually um, was writing for a sitcom. Another uh, another one uh, went into um, the military and became, I guess, their version of a reporter. <laughs> so a lot of students have had writing in you know, in their careers, um, many um, have become teachers themselves, you know, many scientists, mathematicians, you know, it's like they all go and I'm just a small piece of their educational journey, but there's a lot of satisfaction in that. And I feel like being a teacher to these kids, the way teachers were for me, that was my safe place was school. And my teachers were my safe adults. And having that, those caring adults in my life changed everything. And so one of the things I want to impart is that for a lot of us, um, our foster kids and our LGBTQ plus youth kids are our most um, fragile and they're the ones that are most at risk. And so becoming a teacher and being that caring adult for some of the kids, I always call them the least the least of these, you know, the least of these kids. And um, what I love about that is the satisfaction and the beauty of just developing relationships with them and watching them go from feeling so alone and so disconnected to feeling loved and connected and then able to make those connections for themselves. 
that is the beauty of teaching right there. It's just love, love, of, love them into learning. That's great. No, and it sounds like at its core, right? You're, you're doing this for them, right? That's your, that's right. Your so developing the cover was what I watched them pick up and um, keeping the story short, action packed, go, go, go are the books that they they prefer they love the most and um not not being too wordy but just wordy enough you know and I think a lot of teens so far that have read the book are like this is so good when's the next one and I mean that gives me a lot of joy I'm like all right I wrote it for you guys so here you go that's great so you have built-in beta readers <laughs> exactly if I, if I need feedback, I'll just give it to the snarky, you know, 14 year old and they'll totally tell me what's wrong with it. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. But no, I could see how um, your students by you, you know, having them embrace reading and, and writing and then making them part of the process. Um, they're probably your big, biggest advocates. A lot of my um, students that, especially in the past, they're like, they're so excited and you know and some of them are now you know have families of their own because i've been at this so long and they're they're the ones that come to book signings and they're the ones that come for a hug and they're the ones that'll share pictures of things we did in class in eighth grade you know and so it's it's kind of a joy to see them grow and become so wonderfully beautiful and amazing and I, it's, it, that's another joy of teaching. It's, you know, you don't just lose these kids from your life at the end of the school year. They're kind of there forever. That's great. Yeah. I could see the joy in that and how um, satisfying that must be, you know, as an educator. So walk us through now, you know, okay, you're, you're thinking about this idea for the book. Uh, you know, we talked a little about where the characters may have come from, but when did you start to get serious about this? When did you actually start writing the book book and tell us about your process? How did you go about it? So a lot of it is I'm a daydreamer and I, you know, make things up. And I always, I think being in foster care and believe me, there are some like really wonderful foster care families, but overall, no, <laughs> they're, they're not, they don't feel safe. They don't feel good. And it could be the adults in the household are doing the best they can, but you're coming from a place of pain always. And so part of it is like having that daydream and, and just kind of living in your head is it becomes your safe place. It becomes your coping. And I've always been a daydreamer and I've always dealt with stress that way. And so it's always starts with what if, and then off I go. And sometimes I feel like when we are inspired to write, um, our ideas, our daydream, whatever it is that we're kind of obsessed with in the moment, it won't let go of us until we write it down. I don't know if that is your process as well, but for me, it's like, it's behind me constant and constant. I'm like, fine, I'll take the time to write it down. And then finally, it's like, ah, 
<laughs> it's almost like it's it has a life of its own and you have to otherwise you can't get it out of your head it's it does become a compulsion yeah. and i love that too because okay i don't know what to do with this one scene i daydream about it i just think about it visualize it like it's a movie in my head and then pretty soon oh that would work and then off i go to write again so i definitely feel my daydreaming um coping or escape definitely is linked to how I write. That's great. And are you, do you have an outline like start to finish of the book? Or are you writing it as you go? Sometimes um, I do write out the outline, but um, I'm often a thinker. I, I dream about it. I think about it. I, it's in my head. And then I sit down and I usually write the entire thing within 48 hours and, and sometimes I won't sleep or eat and I will just write it out and I'm in the zone and that's my draft. And then I walk away. I just walk away. I have to go do other things, sleep, eat, you know, <laughs> recover. To stay alive. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then um, when I come back to it, I'm fresh and I can really see it for, you know, revision or editing or where I see, okay, that's not what I wanted to say. But I, I'm not definitely one of those people that kind of can sit down every day for two, two, three, four hours and write this and write that. I'm going to think about it, think about it, think about it, Man. practically kill myself to get it out. And, and it's, I, I don't know, it's my process. And I have met other writers that do the same thing, though. So I don't think it's just <laughs> my warped way of writing. But um it's definitely one of those things where it just becomes this entity that is constantly on you until you write it down. And I don't mind that process or that feeling because it's like, okay, okay, I hear you. Let's go. That's your process. No, it's your process. Yeah. And that's great. So give us a sense for the main character. Like where did the main character come from? If you could just give us a little insight, like how did, how did that come into being? So, Mira, um, what I like about Mira is that she's mousy, she's shy, she doesn't really remember how she got into foster care. So there's some trauma memory lapse. Um, she has nightmares. She um, doesn't talk to anybody because that's safer. She's very isolated um, with her peers because that's safer. Um, she lives in a group home with some younger children, but what happens often if if you're a child in foster care and you, how do I put this? You almost become a worker in group homes, like if if that is your coping. And so she becomes like a mother figure to the younger children in this group home. And she's kind of um, aging out. She's going to age out soon. She's going to graduate high school and turn 18. And kind of the insecurity of aging out, which happens to a lot of foster kids, um, they haven't been given the life skills if they've gone from home to home to home to home to all of a sudden be 18 and be expected to yeah. all of a sudden know all the things you're supposed to know to be an adult. Um, not only do a lot of foster kids have a hard time managing emotions, but also when you are aging out of foster care, um, you no longer have support financially or, you know, home support, 
it's 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 a very lonely and unfair system to just push kids you you're 18 by um because they're not ready and so i i had this she's dealing with this conflict i'm i'm aging out there's these children that need care um maybe they'll let me stay maybe i can become you know an employee or a a worker you know like she doesn't want to leave them and so she's got this going on and then she realizes um that there are things that are happening around her that are really um kind of putting her on edge she overhears a conversation of what seems like other teenagers that they have been assigned to kill her and then she finds out there's others after her and she has no idea why and that's when she starts coming into her power um, and I think what's really interesting, too, is that um, I loosely, like very loosely based it on some uh, North Norse mythology that I had been studying at the time when I wrote it. Like, what if there weren't vampires and werewolves? What if there were ice demons and wolves really could just shift? It's just the way they are. And that's kind of where, you know, the two different realms in the story who are after her um, kind of began. I'm like, it makes a lot more sense because what if it started this way? And what if da da da? <laughs> you know, where underneath the surface of our human political system, there are actual other realms of beings that are in control of everything. And, and so it kind of, it kind of made me think, what if, what if the 1% aren't even human? <laughs> you know, what if, so it's kind of going back to that. What if, and so she finds out that not only is she more powerful than what she ever dreamed, but she's more important. She's, she's part of something bigger and uh, she out of love for those for the children, for those that are closest to her, she's more than willing to sacrifice herself to save everybody, even though they're trying to pull her back. So it's kind of like sometimes it's love is the greatest motivation for us to not only heal and change, but to also find our power. And that is Mira. And so like she... She starts out as somebody that you wouldn't expect to be the hero. And then she ends up being more than a hero. And I think that's where the epic part comes in the fantasy. Because she she comes into her own. And even then, nobody knows how powerful she really is. So the book ends on that. Okay, what happens next? Okay. So, Yeah, and a lot of writers, you know, sometimes see themselves in the main character. Would you say uh, that about about yourself? I would say yes. Um, the foster background, the feeling of loneliness, isolation, um, that not knowing what to do next, um, definitely feeling like you're on the outside looking in, like all the other teens, you're looking and they all seem like they they know something you don't. And I think that comes from, you know, secure a secure upbringing. You know, you kind of do know things that maybe others that don't have that privilege know, you know, you know, love and you know what it's like to be in a family and you know um, what it's like to go home and feel safe. And there's a lot of kids that don't. And so you do often these kids feel like 
outside looking in, like they're not exactly with everyone else. They don't have what everyone else has. They don't feel what everyone else feels. And so I definitely um, put that into the character of Mira because I think that would relate to a lot of how our kids feel even today. Yeah, yeah. I mean, would, would, I mean, think about this. Could anyone pay you enough to be 13 again? Anybody. <laughs> There's not enough money in the world. That's right. Nobody wants to be 13 no. again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. No, that's great. And I know you're working on uh, book two, correct? Yes. So tell us about that process. So from a writer's standpoint, book one's done. Um, did you start right away on book two or is it, again, similar process? A lot of thinking. Similar. So I did have it outlined, like kind of like certain things that I, I want in there. Um, so Book one, The Hand of Fate. So book two is going to be The Hand of Ice and book three, The Hand of Fire. And um, so the focus is going to be more on the two different realms. So, and what's interesting, I like how it's flowing is that Mira is in the middle of it, but the focus will be shifted a little bit off her and more on the the people that she loves that are more the ice realm or the wolf part of the story. So it's kind of fun to like switch the perspective just a bit. So she's, she is of course our main character, but the shift that happens, I think will make it feel fresh and new rather than just a continuation. Right. Right. No, that's great. I could, I could see you know, where some of that might go. Um, and look, I think you have such a wonderful product here. Uh, I, you know, I see a movie, you know, potentially, um, or, or, or a series and, um, really, you know, maybe not exactly, but a modern day Annie, right? So, uh, we all grew up or many of us grew up with Annie, um, either saw the movie or the play. And we think about, um, foster care, Right. And what that might look like. And and I think what you've done here with Mira, it's, it's really incredible and bringing your own perspective and um, element to to the book itself and, and bringing this to life. So congratulations on a job well done. It's, it's just awesome. Awesome. Uh, what's your plans for book two? So our, our listeners could know. Well, I'm hoping to have it done by summer. And, um, and then, you know, push that through, like I did the first book, summers are time off. And so it's like, I can solely focus on the process of publication. And so um, that's my hope that I at least have, you know, a working second novel by, by summer. Awesome. And uh, tell everyone about um, how this came to be regarding the bet. I know there was a bet going on. Uh, about writing this book. So okay, so I originally um, wrote this out like years and years ago when my sons were, um, st you know, still at home. I think the youngest one is middle school and the two older ones were, um, you know, in high school. And it was around the time when a um, series came out with vampires and werewolves and you know, the books were like this thick and, 
you got to hear about how the main character made spaghetti like about a thousand times in every book. And I, I just was like, okay, you know, she had these great ideas and I'm not going to name names because I'm not the kind of person, but <laughs> I just was like complaining about like, there's, it's so busy that you lose the story. And my son, oldest son goes, like, you could do better. And I go, yes, I could. I could totally do better. And he goes, right, really, mom? And so that was it. I'm like, all right. So I started thinking about it. And then I wrote it in a weekend. And I, I kind of threw it at him. <laughs> and I go, read this. He goes, okay, this is pretty good. And I go, see, I could do it. And so, um, but, you know, life got in the way and I hadn't published it or revised it or edited it. So it's basically, you know, it was on a thumb drive in my purse for probably 10 years. And I mean, which is ridiculous. And so I pulled it out and um, it was during COVID when I had to teach from home, you know, and I'm sitting here in between teaching classes, trying to find things to put, you know, nervous energy, fearful energy into, you know, I had a little water coloring station and then I started looking at thumb drives and I found it again. And I, then I started reading it and revising it in between teaching while I was here. And I'm like, oh, this is really good. I really like this, you know, it's switching things because it had been so long since I had read it. it. It was good. And I, I go, oh, this part. Okay. And and then I started revising. And I mean, it doesn't look anything like the original draft because, you know, I think I've changed, sure. you know, and I've been on my own healing journey and moving through and my own realizations. And so it definitely transformed, but it actually became partly a COVID project mm -hmm. just to keep my mind off of kind of the fear that I was feeling for my students, um, having to learn all this new technology quickly. So um, it actually became my COVID project. And then after that, it sat for a while again. And then I went, you know, I'm the kind of person that if somebody came up and said, hey, I want to get my book published, but this, I need so much money or I need this kind of support. I would so give it so freely. And I'm like, why am I not giving that for myself? Why am I not doing this for myself? I have this great little story and let's, let's get it out there. People wow. need to meet Mira. So it was kind of like one of those realizations. Um, so it took a few years, but um, before I realized, you know, I need to treat myself and my creativity and my outcome with that creativity with the same support and enthusiasm I do for others. So there, there you go. It was the motivation to get published, yeah. but it did start out as a bet and I did write it out of spite <laughs> to show my son that what I said, I could do it. I could. And so now that it's published, um, I, you know, I, I wrote in this cover, I go, told you. <laughs> That's awesome. Inside you it. must be it's, so proud. He that was so satisfied. Yeah, yeah that's <laughs> yeah, great. He is, he is. And sometimes that's what it takes, right? To give us that that push that we need, even if it's from our own kids or our own family to say, come on, if you could do better, do it. And you did. You did. That's great. Um, but one, one thing you touched on in there that I just want to spend a moment on is that I feel, and I talked to a lot of our, our uh, authors about this, 
our clients that work, you know, when an idea comes to be like this did for you, um, it's almost a calling, right? It's almost a duty and an obligation to get it out to the world. Because if that little thumb drive sat in your purse, if your purse got stolen or God forbid something happened to it, uh, we wouldn't be here today. So the fact that you took the action to take it from a thought to paper to reality, you know, is tremendous. And, um, you know, I just think it's important for people to, to hear that and to have that conversation. It, I, I think it comes from a, a bigger place than us. And then it's not even our, you know, position to judge it, like how or why just, just do it because there's, there's readers on the other side. And, and you mentioned it earlier, might've been before we started recording that if, if there's one person, you know, that benefits from this and gives them joy or save a life or whatever it may be, it's, it's all worth it. It's all worth it. And well, and I think the other part of it is that, um, I think when you come from a childhood trauma, you get to choose your family. Like you do, you choose your family, your best friend becomes the aunt to your kids. Um, you might have an older couple that are like your parents and they become the grandparents to your children. Um, so when you don't have that safe place to call family, you, you create it. And Mira creates that in the book. And I think a lot of kids will recognize that even with their own families and their parents. Um, I've talked to a lot of teens where, um, well, this is my cousin, but not really. It's like my mom's best friend. And I go, family's family, you know? Yeah. So it's kind of like that thing where there's so many things I think people could relate to with Mira, her circumstance coming from trauma. Um, and, and overcoming it, I mean, of course, in a very epic fantasy way, but um, there are clues into how you would overcome that in your own life. And a lot of it is making love connections, making connections to other people, um, finding love for yourself, finding um, love for others, coming from a place of kindness, even though you may have not been treated kindly. And I think that is truly the only thing we take with us after this life is lo love and connections. And I, I want kids to know that is important. It is so important. You know, don't isolate, don't um, stop connecting with others because that connection is what saves you. That connection is what pulls you through trauma, that those connections to people are um, what gives you hope. And I got a lot of my connections through books. I connected to characters. And so in my heart, if this story wouldn't let go of me, there's a reason. And if this story just had to be published and there's a reason. So there is hopefully is a kid out there who reads this book and it gives them the hope to go just, just make it one more day. Yeah. And then make it one more day after that. And one more day after that. And if that's if that's it, the the little book that could did its job. <laughs> yeah. So well said. Yeah. And I know um I wrote down a quote of yours uh before, and it's you, you mentioned part of it and uh, what you just said, which is 
love and connection is the only thing we get to keep. I think that's a great quote from yourself. Yeah. And, and you had quoted someone else. Um, um, uh, Margaret Atwood said, eventually we all become stories. Yeah. And, and we do, but only the people that have made those love connections with others that um, nobody tells your story because nobody will know it if you're isolated, if you're disconnected to others, if you have uh, led a life where you haven't shared who you are or let people in to share who they are. And so I feel like definitely love and connection is the only thing we get to keep. And I do believe we all wind up being stories. If we're lucky, if we've had that in our life. And, and I think that's a beautiful thing, you know, people trying to build this legacy of money or power or, you know, political influence or all of this really, it's the people who love us are going to be telling the stories when we're gone. And I, I feel that love can conquer all. And I know that a lot of times we look into the world and especially I look at some of my students' lives and it, there's so many things to be sad about or mad about or angry. There's so much darkness and I feel like this book shows light in the darkness, you know, and I feel that's what we have to be. We have to be light in the darkness of others. We have to, otherwise we're not going to make it. <laughs> Nobody's going to make it. So in my opinion, if this book just reaches the one kid, helps him, you know, move forward. Yeah. Job done. Yeah. The reason for the book. It's great. It's great. So um, wonderful. Thank you for sharing all of that with us. A couple last questions before I let you go. And first one is if, if you were able to take out your cell phone and call the 20 year old you, what would you tell her? The 20 year old me, uh, besides don't marry him. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> Just kidding. No, um, I think the 20 year old me, I think, um, I would tell her to love yourself so that way you're brave enough to do this far earlier. Like do it earlier. Like I've waited what I'm 53 now. So it's like I've waited 30 years to like push, you know, all these stories. I have half written or, you know, jotted down stories everywhere in bins and journals everywhere. All of them a potential novel. Thumb drive. And yeah. And my thumb drives, I have like five more somewhere. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and it's because it's not that I never had the compulsion to write. I always did. I was always writing something because the story wouldn't let me go. So I have them everywhere. And the thing is, is I never did anything with any of them yeah. until I got to a point where I think it was, <laughs> don't want to cry, but with my mother passing, it was kind of like, I don't have a lot of time. Yeah. If I'm going to do it, I got to do it now. Yeah. So I would tell that 20, 20 year old, do it now. Don't wait. Great advice. You know, Great tell advice. your stories. Yeah. <laughs> and last question I'd like to ask every guest, and you actually um, touched on it a moment ago. And that is at the end of the day, you still do have a lot of life to live, but what do you want your legacy to be? What do you want My to legacy? I hope that I leave. I always, okay. <laughs> One of my friends said, 
you're a tornado of love. And so I always thought about that question. Like, I hope I leave a tornado massacre of love behind me. However it looks to people, whether it's, oh, she was my favorite teacher or whether, oh, this is my favorite book. Uh, just a tornado of love. And oftentimes I will connect people. I go, hmm, you really need to be friends with that person and I'll introduce them. Or, huh, you need to work for that person and I'll introduce them. And if it's just seeing connections that should be made and making them and making people's lives better. Um, one of the best compliments I ever got was that my default is kindness. And it always makes me get emotional. And I go, kindness comes from trauma, from pain. Wow. And mirrors like that. And I think we all need to be like that, light in the darkness. Sorry, get emotional. It's okay. It's okay. Just leaving, have your default just be human kindness and human connection. Yeah. It's, uh, it's really the only way to be. So... Wonderful job. Congratulations, uh, Marcella. Welcome to the American Real family. Thank you so much for sharing the backstory to your story. I will put the links in the show notes where people could purchase the book. And um, I wish you all the best of luck with this one and the, the books to come in the future. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure, even with my emotional. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to American Real. For more stories like this one, be sure to stop by AmericanReal.tv. Follow us on all social media to stay up to date with everything American Real. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and contact one of our publishing experts if you're ready to publish your book and become a best-selling author.